In part two of our biodiversity interview, Dr. Hangarder talks about our local area and threats to its biodiversity. So does biodiversity vary according to latitude from polar to equator? The most biodiverse areas are usually around the equator. Temperature is more stable. Day length is very stable. And there's lots of nutrient cycling going on. As you get further away, it's cooler. The season, growing seasons are shorter, and you end up having less photosynthesis to serve as the foundation for the biodiversity. What are some of the most biodiverse plant and animal families? Animals, I believe, it's the beetles. In plants, I believe it's the orchid. Often really difficult to find. But and seemingly difficult to grow outside of there. Yeah, so a lot of orchids actually have really intimate relationships with the microbial community that they are associated with, and so moving them is difficult. When I was reading about biodiversity, I saw this term global carrying capacity. Can you explain that? That's a kind of a loaded term, because humans think of global carrying capacity, how many humans can be carried on the planet. I think of global carrying capacity of life that can exist on the planet. Again, it all comes back to the ability of the photosynthetic organisms to maintain a biomass that everything else can exist on. Because at this point, there's no life form on this planet that can do anything without the photosynthetic energy, except for humans. And, but we really do it with photosynthetic energy. We just use old photosynthetic energy. Why is biodiversity so important to life on our planet? My feeling about this, for ecosystem or an environment or the planet as the ecosystem to really be robust, that everything has to recycle. And it's very difficult for one type of organism to do all the jobs that are required for recycling. And so the jobs sort of break down into many jobs. Each organism has their place in that bigger context of the ecosystem. So I think to keep your ecosystems running smoothly, you have to have tremendous diversity in the organisms that live within the ecosystem. You know, some environments that we think are very nutrient poor, and people who do sort of theoretical analyses of these things and populations and so on would say, you know, well, there's not enough nutrients there, so it's got to be an ecosystem with low diversity. Well, it turns out many of those are actually much, much higher diversity than people ever thought. Those are situations where I think it's really critical. If you have very little nutrition, you have to keep that nutrition in the life forms that are there. And so you have to constantly recycle it. And so you need to have organisms. It just happens that the only way to keep the nutrients there is you have to have lots of organisms that can grab this stuff as soon as it exits one organism mm -hmm. from you know decay or something. You gotta grab it as fast as you can and bring it back into the into the life of the ecosystem. The more limited nutrition is, I think you're gonna see more biodiversity. Tropics have tremendous biodiversity in their plants and then everything, of course, that eats the plants. But if you look at the soil in the tropic, all the nutrition is in the top several inches. All the tree roots are in it. All the plants are living off of that top several inches. Something falls to the ground. It gets decayed right away and recycled so that that nitrogen gets back into the life. Otherwise, it leaches out and it's gone. It strikes me that your description is almost the functional definition of team, except for one organism. That leads me to my next question. What are some of the major threats to biodiversity? I'd say the single most major threat to biodiversity is one species, and that's humans. Humans put themselves above everything. We've done this for a very long period of time. Humans are at the top of the pyramid, not because it's a 
pyramid of life in terms of existing off of each other is we think we do things in very unique ways and we do everything but every other organism does things in unique ways too we don't photosynthesize but the plants sitting here in my window do they're just food it's like a total disregard towards nature nature is something that's there and it's okay as long as it doesn't infringe on us if it weren't for humans the environment would be doing what it had been doing for millions and millions of years where things would come and grow and survive and some would die off and go extinct and others would fill in those niches. We'd have this constant turning over, but in a system that's recycling. We claim we recycle, but we don't really recycle. We reuse a few things, but we don't recycle. If we ever want to be part of this ecosystem where we're really part of it, we need to really become experts at recycling. 50% of the nitrogen in the human population comes from nitrogen that was taken out of the atmosphere using the Haber-Bosch process. 50% of humanity is here because we have fossil fuels to take nitrogen out of the atmosphere and fertilize our crops. That is not a sustainable process, and we're just moving further and further down that path. Can you talk about our regional biodiversity? I've been photographing our regional biodiversity for several years now. I've been really surprised at how much we have. You know, I actually teach a class in Costa Rica during the winter intercession. And when I'm down there, you know, the first time I went, it was like, oh, you know, all these birds are so spectacular. And I take pictures of them, and I compare the pictures of the birds I've photographed in Costa Rica with the birds that I photograph here. Everything we have is just as beautiful. We often disregard what we see every day. It just becomes part of our background, so you don't notice these things. You bring somebody from Costa Rica up here and let them sit in your yard for a while and watch you know, the cardinals and the blue jays. They would be astounded at the beauty of birds we have. Same with all the other organisms. You know, I go down there, it's all unique. That's what makes it seem special. Birds are birds, and birds are beautiful, period. It doesn't matter whether you're sitting here in Canada or in Costa Rica or in the Amazon. They're all beautiful. I think the biodiversity we have here is actually pretty spectacular. Of course, it's not as nearly as diverse as it is in a place like the tropic. It's much more diverse than I really thought it would be. The sad thing is we don't have a lot of land for these things to exist in in their natural state. You know, I'm sure it was it would be much more diverse if we had more forests and more prairies and more wetlands than we do. But, you know, we have what we have so far. Hopefully we hang on to some of this stuff. A lot of it's managed in ways that aren't really compatible with the actual biological life cycle of the organisms or managed for other purposes. Are there threats specific to our local biodiversity? I think development is one of the biggest threats mm -hmm. to biodiversity because we don't really see it. If you watch the way developers talk, if they go to the city council or something and make their arguments for why they're going to do these things, when the developers were talking about it, referred to it as wasted space. Vacant for us, by definition, means humans don't live there. Right. So these are forests with millions of organisms living in them that we just plow down so that we can put a dozen families into. It's very easy. You know, we don't have much in the way of environmental impact concerns on this. What are some of the ongoing and proposed solutions to maintain biodiversity in the natural state that, say, today? I think the biggest thing is trying to maintain these and expand the habitat areas. Organizations like the Sycamore Land Trust are really, really good at that, trying to build these corridors. And that's a really important part for biodiversity because there are things that just live here, but many things live here temporarily. They migrate, and in fact, that's one of the things, when I'm in Costa Rica, I see birds in Costa Rica that I see here. <laughs> yeah. They're smart. They go down there for yeah. the winter. So these things have to be able to come 
through and they have to have a place to eat. Some of them breed here, they have to have a place to breed, which means they have to have food for their babies. So if we don't have habitats for them, of course we're not going to have as much biodiversity. And we have a serious problem. There's not a lot of these sort of drill areas left. Where we have them, they're now logging a lot of these things at, at rates that I've never seen before. Forest service people will tell you, well, that's good for it, creates new niches and these. I don't think there's any data to support that. Restoration projects like Goose Pond, a really good example of that. But, you know, Goose Pond has to be managed because it's not big enough place to really restore itself back to what it was before. And the other problem we have now is invasive species. There are so many invasive species here that whatever ecosystem comes back is not going to be the same as it used to be. For WFHP, this has been Bob Kissel for Eco Report.